0: This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. I'm super excited about this. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for uh, several months. I'm glad that we're finally able to arrange it. Uh, We have a very special guest. Like I said, we have uh, Pastor uh, John Patowski with us. Um, he's been doing, he's been involved in some incredible things, and, and uh, we're very excited to, to hear from him today. Um, uh, Brother Pitowski, would you just uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Tell them a bit about you, uh, your ministry, what God's doing uh, right there in Connecticut, and uh, just share your heart.
1: Certainly. Thank you, first of all, for the honor of getting to be a part of Apostolic Theory and, and being on this podcast that you lead so well and um and thrilled also that we finally were able to find the date and time to make it happen and so just excited to be a part of the opening of the 2024 year on apostolic (laughs) theory and so um know that god aligns everything according to his timing and it doesn't always make sense on our our impatience sometimes that we want stuff in our own timing and I know I've got so many stories along that lines I can relate to as P O G H knows, and I'll explain to that is a lot of those stories involve driving because it seems like I'm always driving somewhere. Um, but certainly as far as uh, a bio or introduction myself, um, I am a charter member of the Pentecostals of greater Hartford. Uh, of course when it was founded in 1984, there were six of us there at the first service and, um, my three siblings myself and my parents and uh, we had church in our living room like a lot of church plants start Um, but two weeks later we met at the Y and so I was 1984 in 1995 uh, my father who was the founding pastor felt God direct him to ask me to become co-pastor and had a five-year transition and so I was still single at the end of the five years. And so I said, can we wait on this whole you're the bishop thing until I'm at least married? And so he uh, acquiesced to that request and, and granted it, I should say. And so in 2002, I became the sole pastor of the Pentecostals of Greater Hartford and I've had privilege uh, since 2002 uh, to pastor them um, alongside my wife. And prior to that, I passed them alongside my father. And so... Since 95 closing in on, um, 29 years this April, uh, have been serving that church in pastoral ministry. And, um, so I know I only look like I'm 32 and people wonder like, how did that happen? <laughs> but I'm actually a little bit older than 32. Um, and in 2000, um, God told me, uh, to start winter fire. And so, February of 2001 was the very first winter fire, and I felt real particular instruction a bit younger then, but uh, to have Brother Jeff Arnold as our first night speaker, and back in those early years where it was just at our church, I could only seat about 80 people, the first two years was at that church. Um, We would just have the same night speaker both nights, and then two or three day speakers that would speak one or two times each, and so god is just incredibly blessed that so many times i've used the illustration from the from scripture of i was just a boy with five loaves and two fish i didn't i didn't have what was needed to minister to the multitude of need that i didn't even really comprehend when it was started but um i know god has used it from the many testimonies of men and women pastors and leaders and of teams and churches that have come and just shared it made the difference it it they were ready to quit walk out and it recharged them and renewed them and so that's been its purpose of equipping and empowering and renewing and refreshing um I remember one of the early years uh we had we had begun co-hosting after that second year I felt God tell me that he could do something special with the with winter fire, but I wouldn't have sole control. And I said, well, Lord, that's never mattered to me that I'm in control. You're the one in control. And subsequent to that, I uh, co-hosted for 11 years with Pastor Kent Elliott. And God really blessed it remarkably that third year, the first year co-hosting, we moved it to his church. And in two years, it outgrew that. We moved it to about a thousand seat church. And in one year, it outgrew that. And so then in 06, we moved into First Cathedral for the first time, and um, we haven't outgrown that yet. And um, and so, but you know, and that some people make it every year, some make it, you know, most years. But every year there's someone new there that is impacted, and as I said, churches impacted and touched. Uh, in the meantime, um, I was elected to our district board in Connecticut on the United Pentecostal Church and served for three years as presbyter and then for 13 years as the secretary treasurer. Um, And then in 21, I was elected as district superintendent and then reelected this past August to a second term in that role. And so it's, um, you know, I I began thinking some author books, some post-podcasts, and and some are known for certain topics end time prophecy um evangelism and and i would guess um if one thing i'm, I'm really engaged in governance and and i felt probably it was about 07 08, kind of an interesting little story um brother morton bustard came several years in a row um and he um I felt God tell me that I was supposed to take a literature course and Brother Bustard was my teacher. And so I contacted him and just told him what I felt. And I said, well, why don't you give me, um, you know, five or six titles? I'll read those and, and then I'll write a couple sentences or a paragraph about what I pulled from each one. And it was while reading one of those books that I really felt confirmation that God had called me to be an apostle. And and I know we're generally uncomfortable with some titles, um, but uh, that's become less and less the case, I would say, over the last five to 10 years, um, as more and more people have become aware. and, And a part of the discomfort was some really horrible experiences that happened, I think, in the 60s, maybe a little bit before, a little bit after known as the latter rain. And, and unfortunately, we, the pendulum swung all the way in the other direction. And instead of having misuse, we had no use um, of certain offices and giftings. And so I'm grateful that God's really restoring that in the apostolic movement. And, um, and so, uh, you know, the apostles govern, pastors guard, um, the sequence, uh, prophets guide, uh, teachers ground evangelists gather. There's our five G's to go with the, those five offices or giftings. And, and so I'm involved in different ways. I serve in our local community on the East Hartford Police Chaplaincy. And then I also serve on the MDC, which is the um, uh, Water Commission for Greater Hartford. Um, and so I have some community service roles. We're engaged in some levels of, of governance, more on the MDC commission side um, and, and then obviously in the church and ministry realm through winter fire in the district and then nationally serving on general board now, um, and, and some other offices and roles. I have a few hats. I've taken a couple off, um, but engaged on, in our multicultural ministries nationally, and then office of education and endorsement nationally, our uh, UPCI roles and capacities. But have always, from the very beginning of Winter Fire, we've um, had a reach uh, into the broad apostolic fellowship and have several great friends here in Connecticut and, and beyond and just counted a, a treasure and a blessing to be um, that connected to fellow apostolics that are similarly. Our, our purpose statement here at POGH is cultivate disciples of Jesus as global disruptors. And so I tell our new members class that I found a way to get three verbs into one sentence because we cultivate, uh, we disciple, and we disrupt. So yeah, <laughs> one of my wife's graduate, well, one of her degrees is in English, and so sometimes I get a little extra editing help when I need it. Most times she lets me ask for it. She doesn't just always volunteer it. So you're right um i'm blessed to be married to an incredible anointed vessel herself a powerful preacher prayer warrior um and and has her graduate degree her phds in higher ed administration and so she serves as our executive pastor here at pogh and and i gave her a lot more work at winter fire and just gave her the co-chair title so we're co-chairing winter fire now um brother Rick Perry uh, was vice chair for about six or seven years and is re- in process of returning back to the mission field in the country of Botswana, but he will be at one more winter fire at least before he goes back on the field. And so uh, Dr. Indira Pitoski, whom I most often call my love, um, is helping at winter fire more in a bigger role, as well as obviously her continued help. Here at the Pentecostals. And then we have a 16 year old daughter, Alyssa. And uh, the, that's home is the treasure of our life. And so we're grateful for the home God's blessed us with and the ministry roles that He's allowed us to serve
0: in. Amen. That's just absolutely tremendous. You know, I'm just so thankful, uh, you know, for men and, and women of God like yourself that are just so willing to obey the. The voice of the lord in your life and just you know follow even when you don't know where it's going to lead you just follow it you know and so that's just mm-hmm. tremendous and thankful for a leadership like that in our lives um it's just so it's so imperative and it's so important and you're leading you're leading a a, a movement of that inclusivity of apostolics as a corporate whole and it's not just my organization it's we're in this together We believe, you know, we're, we're brethren. And and so that's just, that's awesome. And I love winter fire. We're going this year. I've actually, I've got a vendor booth and I'm excited about it. Oh, awesome. uh, So uh, we'll definitely be there. We're looking forward to what God's going to do. I look Uh, forward to checking it out. Your vendor
1: booth. Yes. Uh, We have, we're moving that into the, the cafeteria. So it'll just, it'll be easier for people to linger as in, check out everything sometimes in the hallway there's so many people rushing by and heading off that um, we we thought it'd be best to create a whole separate area um, and so we're we're doing that and and you know i should know this little detail but i don't i don't know if the calf is going to be open so they might have some food in there for folks that want to grab a bite while they're shopping nope. and connecting
0: so with all the different ministries that'll be there that would be tremendous grab a snack, get a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to be talking about something, um, that, uh, I think it's timely and I'm really looking forward to, um, the wisdom that you're going to impart to us today and, uh, what you feel in your heart and what God's given you. Um, so I'm going to give you the floor for that. Um, I, I, if I feel like, um, I have something to say. You'll see me pop up in the corner there again. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor. We're just going to see where God's going to take us. All
1: right. All right. Awesome. Well, and I'm so grateful. Uh, We we began in prayer uh, and just setting the stage because what I want to share tonight, God first gave me in 2008. And I shared it at a Connecticut District Minister's Retreat and taught it a few times locally in our church uh, around that window, but then had seen and observed it, but not really taught on it until the last year or two. I feel like I've seen increased evidence of this spiritual attack, and it's one I haven't heard a lot of other teaching on, um, but I've seen it at work, and here's what i would like to say just to preface it before i i share the title you might see the title already is that the devil works for god he's not equal to god he's not got a power that we don't have the power to overcome we have a greater power inside of us and we can overcome every attack of our adversary i'd also say Demons are not hiding behind every bush. Um, And so just wanting to preface that, what I can say is any adversity comes to advance you. Any adversity that God allows in your life, he is allowing to advance you and help you to grow. It's it's like some of these martial arts that we might read or study or some are, are skilled in that they use their adversaries force and strength to propel their own action. Um, and so this spirit that I want to just share a little bit about and some insights that I've gleaned over the last 15 years, since I felt God first labeled it. And, and I would say this too, um, I, Some people may describe this spirit or this type of spiritual attack with a different label, and we're not opposing each other. God works through different people in different ways, and and we get insights in different ways. And so I don't think if if you call this spirit or this form of spiritual attack by a different name that we're opposing one another. We just got an insight and revelation in a different—we reach the same destination coming at it from a different road or path. And so Job is really the opening context of this spirit. And it's the spirit that I, through the book of Job, uh, the Lord, I felt named for me as the spirit of Leviathan. And God saw growth potential in Job. Job was not randomly chosen. Um, We know in Job 1.8, you know, the famous conversation between the Lord and Satan and, and God asked him in, in verse eight, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. He's perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and is true with evil. And so what God knew about Job speaking in that very present moment of Job's life is. Let's just say that Job spiritually was 30 years old at that moment. He was a perfect 30-year-old. Wow. But if Job was the same at 35 as he was at 30 in spiritual years, he wouldn't be perfect anymore. He would have lacked growth that should have occurred. We as believers, and, and sadly, sometimes we apostolics can can be uh, very much a norm of this, is that we reach places and just stop growing and, and stop desiring to grow and and stop really studying and learning. Um, Now we don't have a monopoly on it. Um, I did some research, I was looking at uh, if mandating continuing education was beneficial or not. And as I was studying that during, I did a master's in organizational management. What I found out was mandated continuing ed those whether in the financial service field or medical fields that have to do it typically find the class where they get the most credits in the least amount of time and then if it serves food it's an added bonus um just like our vendor hall right if yes. it serves food that's an added bonus <laughs> yeah. and so the point made in this research was that medical doctors some medical doctors who don't themselves have a strong commitment to growing and current knowledge can end up for 30 and 40 years practicing medicine based on what they learned in medical school. Well, if your doctor's 60 or 70 years old, um, that knowledge is very outdated. And now they've been to a lot of continuing ed. They've learned a lot of things in practice. You know, And, and so some learning is incidental. But if you'll be intentional about your growth, then I believe God can really bring you to the destiny that he desires for you. Um, And you will not drift to a destiny. It will take intentional effort to develop yourself, to to grow and, and to seek God's face. Obviously he's the creator. He created us. He knows our frame and he's the author and finisher. He called us and he wants to bring to completion every work that he's called us to do. And so Job wasn't randomly chosen. Um, God had a growth plan for him. I think one of the early indicators of what was Job's growth area is found in Job 27, 5 and 6. Job is speaking, he says, God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness, I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. And then Job 32.1, I think, makes it really, really plain. It says that the three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. So Job, whether you know, this was a new development or something that was in him from the start and just hadn't reached the place where God was beginning to deal with him and remove it from him, Job had a problem with self-righteousness and so god allowed an adversity to come against him to expose that self-righteousness in him so that he could be delivered from it and god could trust him with double of what he had when before he faced this adversity um you know i think the warning for us would would be in matthew 5:48 it says be therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect um perfection is not something we achieve on our own and when in Job's case there's this element of self-righteousness then there's a thought that you know I can be righteous through my own efforts and my own work and my own diligence and and you know we can point to a lot of things we can even point to this commitment to personal growth and sometimes just um, highlight ourselves and our efforts instead of recognizing the grace of God and our total dependence on the power of God and, and the Holy Ghost flowing through us. And, and so pride is not an achievement that we attain. Our, our perfection is not an achievement we attain. I, I mentioned this recently here in Connecticut at a service, but perfection is our street address in the kingdom. Jesus said, abide in me. And so when we abide in him, we're dwelling in perfection because he's perfect. If we think we're perfect through our own efforts, that's pride. And pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And, and we can look all the way back. You know, Isaiah's writing about Lucifer and Isaiah 14 was very clear uh, that he had a desire to exalt himself above God. And to make himself equal to god and ascend and be like the most high and so job and his self-righteousness had you know some measure of just pride and self reliance in self and, and was wrapped in self-righteousness and so an attack a demonic attack came against him um and God is speaking to Job again in Job 41 and this is where he names Leviathan he says canst thou draw out leviathan with an hook or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down canst thou put an hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn will he make will he make many supplications unto thee will he speak soft words unto thee In verse 15 and 16, his scales are his pride shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. And then verse 34, he beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. And so Leviathan was this scaled and dragon image of is what God describes that enfolded and twisted because the scales would be twisted so tightly. And so what God let me see back in 2008, when I first got this insight and revelation about this spiritual attack, is that it's a spirit of perversion. Now, when we think of perversion, our mind tends to go in a direction just of sexual perversion initially or or something along that lines but this is not that perversion this is a perversion that i would a working definition of how this spirit attacks is it twist the truth and so it perverts our perception of what is true and and so this spirit comes and tries to twist our perception now I want to try and move quickly through some portions of this and identify the target and then some scriptural examples. So the first target uh, that I would identify from this is, is ourself. The enemy will come and twist our perception of ourself. We are a child of God. The enemy would like to come and twist that and say, not you, everyone else is, but you just don't. You, it, it doesn't come natural for you it comes natural for everybody else and and whatever lie the enemy can get to twist our perception of ourself or that God has called us or God has anointed us or or that we are righteous and and we're fine in our own opinion our own decision and our own authority and and Job is an example of he, his perception of himself was twisted that he felt like his life and his blessings was because of his own righteousness. And instead of realizing it was the blessing of God because of his worship of God. And so somewhere, again, whether it was a a newer development or if it was a part of his initial um, spiritual DNA, God DNA, if you could, from, from the start of really following after God, Either way, at that present moment, God saw that Job had a need to develop and grow in this area and understand that his righteousness wouldn't wanted, wanted satisfy, and it wasn't, it's the blessings in his life, and God's hand on his life was not a result of his own righteousness, um, and, and even perhaps how others viewed him may be attributed to this perception, and so this twisted perception of his self, probably some praise him that, oh, these blessings are because you're so righteous. Um, then and, and may have contributed to this personal idea of how his self-righteousness was more significant than God's righteousness. So the first target is ourself, that then we would like to come and twist the true perception of ourselves, which the true perception is going to be the God perception. Again, you know, many folks today are trying to find themselves, and that has so much reliance on their self-opinion, self-perception, and instead they should find God, and then when they really get a true revelation of God, they see the blueprint for themselves, and then God will reveal to them who they truly were called to be, who he formed them in their mother's womb to be. Um, The second target is your brothers and sisters. Um, you know, whether it's John coming to Jesus in Luke nine and saying, you know, we saw someone casting out devils in thy name and we told him to stop. And Jesus said, don't forbid him. If he's not against us, just consider that he's for us. Um, you know, that some want to be specialist in removing all the tares from the field. That's not our job. Um, Jesus made it very clear in the gospels. He'll take care of that. Um, we've got a field to work in and, and probably one elder recently said, you know, um, sometimes the ones that we think are tares, we discover we're not tares. And so it's better to leave the, that separating of the wheat and the tares to God. Um, and numbers, uh, Eldad and Medad, um, Joshua came saying, you know, they're prophesying in the camp and you want me to go forbid them. A young man came telling Moses that, and Joshua asked Moses, do you want me to go stop this? And, and Moses said, don't, you don't need to be envious for my sake. I wish that everyone was a prophet and that God would put his spirit upon them in numbers 11, 29. And so, you know, Joshua was ready to go shut down a brother, two brothers that were prophesying because he moses picked up on that he was envious of them and and so the enemy will try to twist our perception of our brother or sister make us think we're in competition with each other or make us think that they're against us and um you know folks really aren't against us they're for themselves and sometimes that gets in the way of us being for ourselves um and and we can get a perception about somebody on on one of their bad days and and It not be a true perception of a a true perception of their heart and their life and their ministry. But um, it's a twisted one that the enemy allowed some word to be spoken to us that that wasn't really true, wasn't really accurate. But bad news always travels farther and faster than good news. And and so the enemy wants to disrupt our relationships with our brothers and sisters. And then the third area of target is our pastor and our leaders. Um. You know, Peter makes an interesting comment. Paul Paul spoke pretty plainly about Peter and, and um, his conflict with Peter in a way that I, I definitely would not say was flattering of Peter. Uh, but Peter made a comment about Paul in um, 2 Peter 3.16. is he, speaking of these things in all of his letters, talking about Paul's letter. And, and he says some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. And so Peter's actually affirming what Paul has written, what Paul has said, though it's hard to understand that, you know, Paul's writing at a graduate degree level. And so it's not always the easiest read for a fisherman, but if you twist the writings that God has inspired and given to us through Paul, you do it to your own destruction potentially. Yeah. And so Peter's warning those who are trying to discount or destroy Paul's voice in their life to say, hey, don't don't twist um, his letters and, and the words that God has given us through him. And so the Leviathan spirit would come and try to twist your perception of, what exactly your pastors saying, or some other spiritual leaders, to discredit them in your mind and 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 remove their influence from your experience? The Israelites, again going all the way back to Moses, Acts seven says that um, this Moses, whom they refused, and and what the Israelites said about him in seven thirty five of Acts was, "Who made thee a ruler and a judge?" The same God, right the same did God send to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel, which appeared to him in the bush. So, you know, they, they came to him and said, uh, who made you to be a ruler or a judge? And in their mind, what they were saying is we're going to, we're going to take you out of the picture. Cause you're, you're not qualified, um, to, to serve in this role, but actually God had called him and God had qualified him and he needed some further teaching and instruction, but they totally rejected, who God had called him to be because of wrong actions that he had taken and, and God aligns everything perfectly in his time. But I think we do wise in this day um, to operate with discernment and know that we have an enemy who someone said this recently, the enemy is scared. The enemy knows his time is short. The enemy sees the hand of God on the body of Christ in this hour. And so He is absolutely throwing everything he can at us to discourage us, to divide us, to distract us. And the spirit of Leviathan comes as a spirit of perversion that twists the truth and twists our perception of one another, of our brothers and sisters, of ourselves. The fourth target is the word of God. Um, It would twist our perception of the word of God. Um, Jeremiah 23, 36 says, the burden of the Lord shall you mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. For you have perverted the words of the living God, of the Lord of hosts, our God. Revelation 22 cautions us about perverting or twisting the word of God. It says in 18 and 19, I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy... God shall take away his part out of the book of life. And the final target is God, that the enemy wants to twist our perception of God. And Ezekiel 9, 9, it says, Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. So the prophet is saying their view of God has been twisted and perverted to think God has forsaken his people and God doesn't see what's going on. It's ultimately as old as the garden of Eden, that the enemy there twisted Eve and Adam was standing there in her close proximity is what Genesis makes clear. So the enemy twisted their perception of God um, to try to cause them to doubt the goodness of God or his care for them, that he was withholding some good thing from them. And and so those are the targets of that Leviathan would work to twist our perception of as a spirit of perversion. His goals, um, I want to just talk about his goals and then the ways that we defeat him, but definitely want to open up to any comment or question you might want to add into this part so, of the
0: dialogue what it seems like is when this spirit is operating it's almost as if it it's not one of these things at a time it's almost as if this spirit of the leviathan is it, so it gets you to change your perception of yourself Maybe a spirit of pride that rises up in you, you know, you know better, whatever it may be, or maybe you think less of yourself. And so you don't mm-hmm. think you're good enough for whatever it is. And then exactly right. That in turn gets you to look at the spiritual authority. And now you're mm-hmm. questioning the spiritual authority. And then when you start to question that, so when the serpent was in the garden, You know, first he gets, he says, well, what did God really say? So he questioned the word of God. He questioned, had them questioning God, but then he had them questioning themselves. Well, but if you eat this, you'll be like God. Yeah. Almost as if they all coincide Mm -hmm. and they all correlate together uh, as it, as it's operating. So I wonder if we would be able to discern better if we look for those key, uh, maybe ingredients would be the word to use, but. Uh, that that those those key things that are taking place in the lives of, of, you know, individuals within the church body. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think absolutely right. What you're saying that. It it begins on an inside and twists or perception, think less of or more of ourself. And and so then that plays right into twisting relationships and it it skews. It, it perverts your view of yeah. others, and you see things that aren't there. <clears throat> you um, you think that people are against you, that are really for you. You know, I, I think of a case again, this uh, a matter over a decade ago, um, where some really gifted folks that that I served in a, a oversight responsibility we just absolutely convinced that I was holding them back from their divine destiny. And I was a ball and chain was even one time. Uh, the description I was given wow. um, to uh, a, a second party that was connected to both of us very closely and um, was hindering them. And so, you know, you begin to see this pattern where individuals under this attack begin to really isolate from the body they they come and can sit on a pew for months but they no longer do anything with anybody in the church and they drift towards the back of the church and they come late and they leave quick and and um just isolate themselves and play totally into standard operating procedure for the enemy you know i our enemy is not real smart he's not the greatest intellectual by any stretch of the imagination. Um, he's, he's not creative. He's been cut off from the creator, but he is more persistent than a five-year-old that wants a pack of gum in the checkout line. (laughs) Like you can say no a thousand times. He's going to ask a thousand and one, right? You can reject him for 10 years. You can, you can live for God for 30 or 40 years and serve in ministry. And he's still coming for you. He's, he's a trophy hunter. You know, one of the really famous sermons in the f movie Movement is uh, C.G. McNeely, Trophies on the Walls of Hell. Um, and you go to Hunter's home or office and see their trophies on their wall. And that was, you know, the illustration of his sermon where he just makes the point that the enemy's got trophies on his wall and he's hunting for one more and it's yours. And And so whenever we see the enemy at work, isolating us from the body, we've, we've got to lean hard in the other direction. When we see somebody isolating from the body, we've got to just love on them and, and go to them and assure them and, and just try to get to the root. Because, you know, a lot of times they there won't be clear communication about what's really going on here. There's, you know, things that they think Folks are able or willing to hear, instead of really being authentic and honest and transparent. Um, and sometimes they very well are not aware in that moment of the deeper issues going on, and and their perception has been so twisted that what they see right in front of their face is is what they're convinced is the issue, but in reality, there's a deeper issue behind that yeah. that they're not seeing. Right, and so. Yeah, Leviathan's goals, short term goals, is to mess up and complicate your relationships with any of the targets. Um, even, you know, your relationship with yourself, your peers, your pastor, and leaders, the word of God, the Lord. Um, uh, we're called to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. Well, if we love ourselves too much or too little, we don't really have a healthy Baseline to to start from loving our neighbors according to God's command on how to love our neighbor, um, and so uh, his short term goal is to mess up and complicate our relationship with the targets of Leviathan, and the other short term goal, as I've already said, is just to isolate you um, and, and get you by yourself. And you know any predator knows that a prey alone is is an easier one to take down uh, than a prey that's in a herd, uh, for the most part. The long term goals is to rob us of our peace, our joy, our righteousness. Um, he, he wants to come and, and rob us of those things that, you know, for many apostolics, he knows he's not going to walk up and take our salvation away from us. But live for five years without the joy of God. and And he's not going to stop at stealing that because that is his ultimate long-term goal is to destroy both your spiritual destiny, what God has called and destined you to do. And what he's called and destined you to do, he's called and destined you to do as a part of his body. And so um, we can't disconnect from the body and isolate ourselves and think we're really going to see the greatest fulfillment of what God has called and destined for us. And then Obviously, his, his long, eternal goal is to, to destroy and rob us of our salvation. And so, you know, I, li- I like to get to this part. How do we defeat Leviathan? Because um, hmm. that's that's the key information. If there's any key that we can share about Leviathan, is not a name that maybe you've just called it a spirit of perversion or a spirit that twists truth or alters truth. Um, again, I don't think it's critical to use the name Leviathan, but that's just how God revealed it to me and what I've used. And so the number one strategy for defeating Leviathan is your knowledge of the word of God. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, um, you know, we have several really skilled trades folk in our church. And when they see me in Home Depot, they wonder what I'm doing there. And that's because they've seen me with a hammer or some other tool. And it seems like it's a foreign object in my hands that I'm not. I'm, I'm voted most likely to hit a finger with a hammer um, and and best qualified to be a gopher on a, on a trade job site. Um, and, and they've helped me a little bit. I've gotten a little bit better, but. It, it doesn't take someone that's been a believer for a long time to sniff out when someone's not really a student of the word. Um, you know, it's, it'll be election year this year and we'll have a lot of politicians coming to churches and, and saying things like two Corinthians or something like that. Um, and so we know that they don't really know the word. Right. And yet if, all we know is what we knew 10 years ago. How well do we really know the word? Um, the second Peter one twenty: the words not of any private interpretation. And so if, if I've got this interpretation of the word that, you know, some under Leviathan attack will claim a knowledge of the word, but they've got this insight that nobody else um, sees or affirms or agrees with and it just leads them into this isolated place off by themselves and they miss out on what the enemy's attack has done um you know certainly uh revelation 22 18 and 19 we read earlier god god does feel pretty strong about folks that would twist or misuse his word and so um when folks are misapplying or misusing the word of god that's another indicator when You know, there you you can you can dress anything up in church clothes and put a scripture verse on it and pretend it's holy. Um, But if it's twisted and misused, uh, you're not going to defeat Leviathan. He's going to defeat you. And so the number one strategy on defeating Leviathan uh, that I would start with is your knowledge of the word. And we've got to be able to give a certain sound in this day that we're living in. You know, Isaiah 9 says the, the battle of the warriors with confused sound and noise, but unto us a child is born. And so Christ is revealed to us in this hour, in this battle day that we're living in, the intensity of the hour that we live in and this enemy that we're facing, um, that we as oracles of God, as trumpets of the Lord, need to give a certain sound. Um, the second um, strategy and trait that I add in is relationships. Um, no man is an island, you know. Romans fourteen seven. No one lives to himself. No one dies to himself. And then Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "Where no counselors the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there's safety." Um, we've got to have real friendships in our life. Those don't happen accidentally. It requires our investment in real relationship, an authentic relationship. And, um, you know, you, I, I worked in sales in a couple different industries, and one of my um, bosses would always tell us as his reps that, you know, you don't make, you don't make friends at wartime because our accounts were going to have days where they didn't care for our service. This was in the wireless industry. And, you know, something had not worked right, and they were mad at us. And that wasn't the time to build a good relationship with them. Well, similarly, in kingdom work and kingdom life, in valley times and intense warfare moments, is not the time to build friendships that you can count on and trust in. Those have got to be built at all times to invest in intentionally friends that are called and anointed and understand where you're at and where you're heading, even if they're calling and anointing is really different from yours, um, they're pursuing their God call in their life. And so having friendships in the body of Christ that can understand spiritual attack and know the word, it's it's vital for us in this hour to be, our lives to be interwoven and connected with each other. Um, Proverbs eleven fourteen. 14 for no counselors, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. I've asked a few people this question the last few months of who's your multitude? Um, that it's, it's not easy to build and invest in relationships in this intense and busy hour, but we are wise to be intentional in having healthy and authentic relationships with peers in ministry um, that, that we can go to you know the gifts and the offices of the Spirit. I'd say is a third trait um, to not be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit, but uh, to discern the Spirit, to try the spirits, to have that that connection uh, with others in the body that we're we not um, you know deceived by wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't wolves. Don't most often come in, in the shepherd or some like to say the under shepherd. Um, they they come looking just like a peer, um, but their voice is not a voice that that is going to point us in the right direction or really edify us in Christ. And so, operating with discernment is is so important in, in allowing the gifts to flow and, and operate in our lives. Is Really essential and necessary. Um, beware of false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, Matthew seven, fifteen, John four one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they have of God. Romans sixteen, seventeen and eighteen says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Um, Yeah. Who the, the long testimony of a life and a ministry is so important. Um, There'd be a lot of voices that float through and pass through the movement. um, But to just see the long track record of their life and their investment and service in the kingdom Um, is important that we operate with discernment this hour. And, you know, the last one I would say is, is that spiritual cover, the principle of being under cover of spiritual authority that involves active submission. Um, If, we only go and talk to our spiritual authority after we've made a decision that's not active submission to me, active submission is when we go to our spiritual authority, when their counsel could still perhaps cancel something we were planning or thinking to do. Um, you know, jesus checked peter in john 15 peter's just shared the the revelation of who jesus is but then just a few verses later he's after he's being praised by jesus he he's being called satan by jesus right and um he he checked him and said you know don't don't get it twisted who i am stop and consider who you're rebuking um now that was Peter with Jesus, right? Um, and he called to them the 12 in Mark 6, and he began to send them forth two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. They went out and preached that men should repent. They cast out many devils, anointed oil with oil, many that were sick, and healed them. But And then in Mark 8, he which is a parallel to John 15, he, he rebukes Peter, and then in Mark 9, one of the multitude come to Jesus, and they say, Master, I've brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And so what was the difference between Mark six, where they're casting out devils and healing the sick, and Mark nine, in between is peter's rejection of process that jesus is telling them the son of man is going to be crucified and going to die and peter's saying oh no you're not and and so when you have revelation but you reject process and process involves submission to authority when you reject process you're going to lose spiritual power and so the the disciples had the spiritual power mark six and dr littles is the first one i heard share this sequence of of the bringing these events into sequence and connecting what happened that caused them to lose lose power um, and lose the authority that they operated in in mark six that they lost that in mark nine and so right if if you reject the authority of jesus then you lose the power and the authority of Jesus to operate in your life. You've got to operate in submission to the authority of God. And you can't claim to be submitted to his inherent authority and power, but not be submitted to his revealed and manifest authority and power in the spiritual authority. And so submission to authority involves two ingredients. It involves conflict. If, if there's not conflict of my will, I'm not submitted. I'm in agreement. Um, you know, if the preacher's standing and preaching against rock and roll and rap and, and, and I'm shouting amen and amen. And then if my genre of choice is country music um, and he preaches against country music, all of a sudden I'm quiet because I, I um, you know, he's, I, I'm not. I'm in conflict with him. When he was preaching against the things I was against, I'm in agreement. But when he names something that's that's not, then I've got to choose. And everyone can choose their own kind of music. I'm not preaching for or against any kind of music. Um, there's folks in all of those genres or styles of music that are um, trying to do gospel and Christian music. So I'll I'll leave that to someone else. I won't engage in that one just now but um submission involves conflict and um, we've still got to allow our will to crumble and god's will to be done in our life and then the second ingredient I say in, in in real active submission to authority is honor that we choose to honor the spiritual authority that god has placed in our life first um, timothy 6 1 paul's instruction to Timothy was let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. We know that every authority exists is one that God has allowed to exist, and so we should honor those that are serving us in leadership roles. In first Thessalonians two thirteen, Paul said this to the church at Thessalonica, and by extension said it to us. He said for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And so we choose to honor the word of God as it comes to us through the men and women of God that he places in ministry and leadership over us in our in our lives. and. You know, Dr. Petoskey and I are so grateful for the elders that God has placed over us in our life. Our pastor and other members that serve specifically on our trustee board are elders that God has placed in our life. that We've asked into the POGH family, but then we have an annual meeting each fall with them that, that did get disrupted, of course, in its nature during the pandemonium. Um, but we're back on track. And and so these elders come and they meet with our local elders. So they get to hear from our local elders and be in a meeting with them. And then we have a private meeting where every year we just ask them if if there's something wrong or off and how we're doing or what we're doing, we want you to just plainly tell us. And of course, we have conversations with them throughout the year. We're connected closely, connected with them. And so we're just grateful that we don't always in our flesh, like what they want to hear but I love when I get direct instruction because I try to model um, the submission that I seek. uh, It's one of our core values here at POGH. Model the submission you seek that all of us serve in leadership somewhere. And so in areas where we're not the leader, we should model the submission that we seek of those that we're trying to lead. And so the last thing I would say on this topic is just, If you find yourself and and you recognize maybe in the course of this, you know, when the enemy is attacking us, we can be very defensive and not willing to receive any guidance or instruction. Um, And, you know, like I said, I've had folks sit on a pew for many years, some over a decade, and just had this wrong perception of me but weren't willing to go anywhere else and I, I honestly would rather they go somewhere else where they could have just a, a a purer perception and not have this rub against the one that they're trying to allow to serve them as as their pastor as their leader um and and so if you find yourself being really Isolated and rigid in your relationships, not flexible. You're never available when they're available. You have no interest in what they're interested in. What their jokes aren't funny anymore. I, I've sold on, on the district office and serving that. That sorry, we wore out both my AirPods. Um, but uh, laughter is the canary in the coal mine. Uh, You know, miners know if the canary drops over dead, it's time to get out of that mine. Something's bad in the air quality. When we can't laugh easily with one another, there's something wrong in the relationship. And, um, you know, if everything someone says is perceived as being an attack or being negative, or um, there's different indicators. So if, if in any way, at any time, God reveals to you leviathan has crept into your thinking and twisted your perception of brothers and sisters or of the leaders that have served you for years in in such honorable ways first get alone with god and repent and just repent that you've allowed the enemy any territory in your heart mind or spirit as a landing spot because if you give him a landing spot he's going to expand his territory from there repent of that And then go make things right with any anyone that things are wrong with and and rebuild those relationships i need
0: that water (laughs) and that's not always easy sometimes that's that's you know that's setting your really that's that's getting yourself into a place where you can and set conflict of will because we don't ever want to be wrong we don't Mm -hmm. we we in our perception we're we're right it doesn't matter what really happened in my perception, this is what happened. This is I know what's what's going on. But the reality is, is there's always two sides to every story. And uh, when I'm dealing with managing conflicts with my children, it's always here's their side of the story. Here's their side of the story. and somewhere in the middle is where that truth happens. Right. And so finding find being willing to admit that somewhere in the middle is, is the reality. And somewhere in the middle is where we need to make sure that we're meeting with this other party, this other person, uh, and, and making that right. You know, reconciliation—it's just—it's so important. You can't bring your yeah. gift to God and not be reconciled to your brother. That's true. Bible. Yeah. So it's—it's it's just so important that we 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 get that that right and set our pride aside, because mm-hmm. and it's true. Pride goes goes before fall. It goes before destruction. It's, Pride will just lead you astray. And so when you can humble yourself, and that's why I believe that Jesus, his prayer is humble yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I think a key word you said is perception,
0: you know, because our
1: perception is our reality, but that doesn't make it always accurate. Hmm. And that's where authentic relationships are so important because when you've got a real friend that, that really knows you, you can just come into each other's company and they can sense something's off. And, and then as you start talking, you know, a real friend tells you when you got some food particles stuck in your teeth, <laughs> a true friend also tells you when your attitude stinks right? or, or yeah. when you're being petty or vindictive, or are you, you're just your whole, how you're perceiving everybody's off. Like, get the chip off your shoulder. It's, it's not, it's not what you're thinking it is. And um, a real friend will tell you that, but if you don't have a true friend that really knows you that well, that you'll receive that from. That's another thing. Sometimes a friend will come and say that. And I've seen this. Um, I've seen folks cut off friendships that have been their friend for for years and years and years. And the friend came and cautioned them and they just cut off their friend and Weren't their friend anymore, and so um, yeah, it's humble. Humble yourself and and say, you know what? I don't always get it hundred percent right. This might be one of those times. Let me just dial down my confidence on this on this perception a little bit and walk humbly before God and
0: man. And a lot of times, it it's not even necessarily admitting you're wrong. It's just you know. And I, this is this is important too. Uh, we get to a place where we're just more interested in winning an argument mm-hmm. than we are, you know, in making sure that their soul makes it to heaven. Yeah, my soul makes it to heaven, mm-hmm. and that's that's part of our flesh. That's that's that willingness to. I mean, you said it so well. You know, just humbling ourselves and just you know making sure that we're repenting before God and we're doing right before the Lord and we're obeying the scriptures and we know the scriptures to obey them. Um, it's just, you know, that'll get us on the right track and that'll get us, I believe, and I, I, I feel like you, you believe too. It'll get us in yes. that place of spiritual power, spiritual authority um, and land us in a place where the church needs to be of dominion over. Yeah, They're trying to hinder the perfect will of God.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely right. God wants us operating at levels beyond where we're at and, and continuing to grow. And we've got to stay connected to the body. We've got to stay growing. And if the enemy can twist that and disrupt that, it'll prevent us at some key moments of being all that God wants us to be. And we don't have a monopoly on God, Um I love that story brother Mooney told about the boy that met him at the prayer room door as he was cutting through the prayer room to get to the platform. And he tried to sell him a Calvary bulletin for a dollar. And brother Mooney said, you know, they give them away for free at the front door. And the whole boy looked up at him and said, looked up at brother Mooney, looked at the stack of bulletins. And he said, not anymore. They don't. <laughs> Cause he had, he had cornered the market, and had a monopoly on the church bulletins. Well, we don't have a monopoly on the Holy ghost and apostolic ministry. If we won't operate in it, God will go find a vessel who will. Hmm. And and so we've got to stay humble in our dependence on him in order to be a part of what he wants to do on the earth today. And what he wants to do on the earth today is awesome. is mind blowing. Right. And, and, uh, I, you know, um, I don't care if I'm first or last to the incredible harvest that's going to shake this world before Jesus come. I've I've said this in church a few times that I don't care if I'm first or last or lost somewhere in the middle, as long as I'm a part of it. I want to be on the team and and whatever place and role God lets me be on the team. um, They know here at POGH, you know, I, I, if, if I'm needed as a parking lot greeter and I'm not serving somewhere else, I'll go out in the parking lot and be a greeter. Um, and, and so, um, they're working hard to get me focused on what God really wants me busy doing here at P O G H. And so I don't often get as many of those opportunities as I used to. Um, but they know my heart and that, that's my heart. Um, I'm a servant of God and I, I actually, I posted a blog earlier this month about just, and I made a comment in there about balancing. Paul many times described himself as an apostle, um, but he also several times described himself as a servant. And and I think that that shows the balance necessary to, to really operate long term in apostolic ministry is he had the confidence of calling out his office and saying, I'm an apostle. But then he also had the humility of saying I'm a servant and and I'm willing to serve in any capacity. And so I think he's a great role model for
0: us in that. Amen. That's just where we need to be. And if we could all get on that same page where it's just let me be somewhere in the kingdom of God. Just let me do whatever God wants me to do and let me see a need and I'll fill that need. And, you know, that's. That's where we've got to be. That's that's gonna be critical. Amen. Time church movement and God doing what he wants to do. And you said it, you know, he's he's up to something big. He's he, it's gonna be it's gonna blow our minds because it's gonna be greater than anything we've ever seen, greater than anything that's ever been talked about. It's yeah. gonna be awesome. And I want to be on board with that, uh, whatever capacity that ends up being. And so that's that's where the church needs to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much for the honor of
1: inviting me to be a part of your podcast. And, and thank you for coming to Winter Fire. Uh, I, I look forward to welcoming you and seeing you in person there. So appreciate so much the honor of both.
0: This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.